Hi everyone and welcome back to For the Love of Astrophysics. This is your host Aditya Sundar and today we'll be delving into the very interesting topic of black holes. Now, we left off the last episode by talking about how a star could become a neutron star. Essentially, if the white dwarf or the remnant of the star after the supernova is greater than the Chandrasekhar limit, which happens to be 1.4 solar masses. It will collapse into either a neutron star or a black hole. As we discussed in the previous episode, neutron stars are formed when this happens, yet only when the leftover remnant is relatively small. If this core is massive enough, it could collapse in on itself to form a black hole. When talking about black holes, we could discuss the formation, general principles, But it is important to keep in mind that black holes bring in a lot of conjecture and theories due to how bizarre they are. So much of what I will be talking about in this episode will be pure theory. Anyways, getting back to topic, a black hole forms when the white dwarf or the core left behind after a supernova is both greater than the Chandrasekhar limit and greater than three solar masses as well. This is actually the exact opposite of what happens before the star. We discussed how in a red giant, the outer layers are slowly blown off as the outward pressure was greater than the inward pressure. In the case of a supernova, the supergiant's core becomes too heavy and results in a giant explosion outwards. In the case of a black hole, however, the inwards acting gravity is so high compared to the outwards pressure of electron degeneracy that it forces the core to collapse in on itself onto an infinitely small point until it becomes a literal black hole. In this episode, I will be referring a lot to a very important and famous theory, the theory of general relativity, proposed by none other than Albert Einstein. Now, you should know that general relativity explains a lot of things about the universe, which have actually been proven through experiments. And we do rely on these concepts for many other things in theoretical physics. However, this theory fails in a sense to explain the center of a black hole. General relativity predicts a singularity at the center of a black hole. A singularity in this context is essentially a point in space-time which has a finite mass but with a virtually zero volume, giving it an infinite density. Because of this, it gives the singularity an infinite gravitational field strength. Now, we know that black holes do have a lot of gravitational field strength as they are able to trap the fastest moving thing in a vacuum, light. So Einstein saw this and theorized that perhaps at the center of a black hole, the thing that's causing this gravity may not just have a very high gravity, but an infinite one. This is where relativity failed as singularities and infinities do not and cannot exist in the real world. Why? Let me give you an example. A singularity is basically when one value is kept unchanged or zero, while another is a finite value. So imagine a car moving at a certain speed, let's say five meters per second. Then the car happens to accelerate to another speed, let's say 10 meters per second but it accelerated in zero time on a graph where the speed is on the y-axis and the time is on the x-axis. It would look like a straight vertical line. A change in speed 
with no resultant change in time. This would not be possible at all, since the speed can't change without a consequential change in time. In fact, you can make this out when trying to calculate the acceleration for the car, which you would get by dividing the change in speed by the time. Since the time is zero, you would be dividing by zero, which we all know from maths is impossible. So, however, through many papers and theories, it is said that dividing by zero gives you infinity. And again, we know that in the real world, infinities do not and cannot exist. So through this, we can say that a singularity is not possible, at least with our current understanding of physics. Albeit there is something there with an incredible gravitational field strength, but certainly not an infinite one. I will be talking about many concepts revolving around a singularity, but again, you've got to keep in mind that a singularity does not exist, as it is merely an extreme to what just seems like an incredibly high value. So much of what I will be talking about in this episode is pure theory, and we cannot say for sure if any of it is true. Now, this is a point at which we can take a short step back from black holes to discuss a little bit about two governing yet contradicting theories in the field of physics, general relativity and quantum field theory. General relativity is a theory proposed by Einstein, which encompasses a lot of concepts and theories which we shall not get into right now. But you do need to know that general relativity predicts a singularity at the center of a black hole, as I said before. Quantum field theory, however, is a very different theory, which states that every single force and action in the entire universe is governed by particles. For example, light, the fastest thing in a vacuum, is governed by particles known as photons. The strong force which holds the nucleus together in an atom is governed by a particle known as the gluon. Now, in the case of a black hole, as I said above, General relativity predicts that once the star dies and collapses, it collapses onto an infinitely small point, giving it an infinite density. However, this wouldn't be able to exist as mathematically singularities and infinities are impossible and do not exist in the real world. This is when we would turn to quantum field theory as general relativity has failed to explain phenomena at very small sizes something we know that quantum th field theory has succeeded in. However, another contradiction is brought about between the two theories here, as quantum field theory does not really describe gravitational effects, something which is incredibly prominent in the case of black holes. Thus, there is a contradiction in how singularities are described. We know for a fact that they do not exist, yet general relativity predicts their existence along with many other concepts, which we almost know for sure to be true. Thus, scientists look for other grand theories which could explain the center of a black hole, which could include gravitational effects the way we perceive them, and is able to explain things at minuscule sizes, much like quantum theory. Okay, let's get back to the topic at hand. Let's talk a bit about the structure of black holes and their effects. Firstly, there is the event horizon. This is essentially the boundary for the black hole's gravitational effects. As I said before, nothing, not even light, can escape once it has entered this boundary. In fact, it is for that reason alone that it is called the event horizon. Because once something occurs in this boundary, 
the information cannot reach anywhere but inside the black hole, making it impossible for anything or anyone outside the event horizon to determine whether something even happened in the first place. As I said before, general relativity predicts a singularity at the black hole center. Let me explain why this is so. For this, we need to understand how this theory explains gravity in the first place. General relativity suggests we look at gravity from a different perspective. Now, before we thought that gravity was just a force between two masses, right? The greater the mass, the stronger the force of gravity. Now, Einstein went one step further and suggested that gravity is not a pull force, but actually the curvature and deformation of space. To understand this, you need to imagine that space is not a simple backdrop to the universe, but an actual material thing. What it actually is, we shall get into another episode. But just imagine that space is an actual thing which can bend, curve, and deform. Now, general relativity suggests that the presence of a mass in space causes a curvature or a deformity in space-time in such a manner that it causes paths taken by objects to bend towards the mass. Now, the mass and density at the singularity is so incredibly strong that at the event horizon, this curvature of space becomes virtually infinite, so high that there are no paths at all which lead away from the black hole. Let me explain what exactly that means. Basically, a rocket ship leaving the Earth still experiences Earth's gravity, yet the gravity isn't strong enough to keep it inside the Earth. However, in a black hole, space is curved and messed up so much that no matter which direction you try to move, even if you try to move away from the black hole, you will be moving more and more to its center. So technically, to stay outside the singularity for the longest time, you would have to stay still and not try to move outside it. As in a black hole, all directions lead towards its center. This again is an example of how messed up black holes are and that space technically breaks. So basically, once you enter the event horizon, there's no way of getting out. Another interesting concept about black holes is that since they have a very strong gravitational strength, they often have orbits around them, much like our sun. So black holes actually have many disks of particles around them caused by accretion. However, these particles orbiting the black hole would be moving so fast that tiny amount of friction would heat the particles up to a billion degrees. This would make the space around the black hole ironically bright. So a black hole would look like a bright rings of light surrounding nothingness. In fact, this orbit is so strong, it even forces light to orbit it. What effect would this have? Let me explain. Light is a very complicated topic. It bounces off objects and reaches your eyes so that you can see them. In essence, light carries certain information of the object it is bounced off of. So technically, the object wouldn't have to be right in front of you. For example, let's say you had a chair behind you and the light that bounces off of it somehow bends and reaches your eyes 
you would see the same chair in front of you, even when there's actually nothing there. So let's say you get close to a black hole, close enough to stand in the orbit. Any light that bounces off of you would circle around the entire black hole and reach your eyes again, meaning you would actually be able to see yourself wherever you look. Let's end this episode with a discussion about a very interesting and important concept in black holes, time. As we had discussed before, according to general relativity, a mass can bend or curve the space around it through gravity. Now to understand the time concept in a black hole, this will get a bit more complex. Not only does a mass bend space, but also time. In fact, when talking about the universe, scientists usually use the word space-time as they're both linked together. So mass curves space-time, curving both space, which is the gravity we all know, and also time. Let's go a bit back for a moment. Have you ever heard of the phrase, time is relative? This is actually related to gravity and how it bends time. Essentially, as an object gets closer and closer to another massive object like Earth, it experiences more of the massive object's gravity, right? Because of this, time bends more and more, causing the time to actually slow down. Let me give you an example. Let's say there are two people, Alice and Bob, and both have synchronized clocks with them as they stand at the base of Mount Everest. Alice stays at the base while Bob decides to go to the peak. To each of them individually, time will seem to pass regularly. However, the clocks will actually be moving at different rates, just by a very minute and unnoticeable difference. This is because the gravity they each experience is different. So relative to each other, they will be experiencing time at different rates. Let me put this into perspective for you. Let's take the example of how motion is considered relative, again using Alice and Bob. This time, Alice is sitting inside a bus, while Bob is outside. From Bob's point of view, Alice is moving, as the bus is moving and she's in the bus. But from Alice's point of view, she isn't moving at all. Now a third person, Carl, enters the bus. From Carl's point of view, who's inside the bus at this stage, Alice isn't moving either. So is she moving or not? The answer is that it depends on which point of view you are considering. The exact same thing applies to time. If we go back to our mountain example and put Carl in the picture, we can see how this happens. Let's say Carl is standing along with Alice at the base. Since both of them experience almost an equal gravitational field strength from Earth, both will be at the same time. So from Carl's point of view, Alice is at regular time. He's at the same time as her. But from Bob's point of view, both Alice and Carl would be seen to move a bit slower, simply because his time is faster than them because he is experiencing lesser gravity than them. So again, time, much like speed and motion, is relative, as it depends on the perspective and points of view. 
When I say this, I mean that whether an object is moving faster or slower or experiencing time faster or slower depends on the observer's experience of gravity. If the observer is closer to the object, he or she would observe less of a time difference. But if the observer was further away from the object, he or she would observe much more of a difference in their times. Let's get back to black holes and see how time being relative with respect to gravity comes into the picture. Now we know that black holes have an incredibly high gravitational field strength and can bend space, now space time, to a great extent. Now, according to the theory of general relativity, an object falling into the black hole would eventually slow down to an outside observer. Let's get Alice and Bob back to understand this. Let's say they're both right outside the event horizon of the black hole, again with synchronized clocks. Alice decides to go into the black hole. From Alice's point of view, time is passing regularly. Her perception of time does not change, so she can see the clock is winding at a regular and normal rate. However, from Bob's point of view, she seems to be slowing down. In fact, from Bob's point of view, she would be slowing down more and more as she gets to this closer to the singularity. At the singularity, gravity is supposed to be infinite. And if gravity is infinite at the singularity, we know that it curves space infinitely in a sense. So it has to do the same for time. So from Bob's point of view, time not only slows down, but it slows down so much that to him, time stops and Alice just seems frozen. Again, to Alice, her time would be passing normally, you know, until she goes to the singularity and ceases to exist. But to Bob, again, she wouldn't even have entered the singularity, but staying frozen in time. Keep in mind that this example would be virtually impossible, considering the fact that light can't really escape the event horizon of a black hole. So Bob wouldn't actually be able to see Alice once she enters. It's also important to note that, as said before, a singularity shouldn't actually exist. So we don't actually know for sure what happens once someone enters the singularity. Does time actually just stop? Does time end? Is it a way into another universe? Or will any object entering just cease to exist? And if so, what happens to the particles of that object? This is where relativity and common understanding breaks down. As we can't really predict what exactly happens inside the singularity once an object enters, at least for now, for the simple reason that we know that singularities shouldn't and do not exist at all. So what would seem like the infinite curvature of space-time actually isn't. This is where we stop our discussion of black holes and actually the entire star season. Thank you so much for listening and see you next time on For the Love of Astrophysics on a new season.